0: Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host, Zoe Zoe Soto-Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the professor, Mr Stephen Palmer. Hello there tonight we celebrate 100 episodes of the asian cinema film club it's been a joyous day here on the the show we've had the ticker tape parade out front with the milk float we've had small children <laughs> handing us flowers and saying how they, when they grow up they wish to to host asian cinema podcasts it's just been a delightful day all around And tonight we are going to only celebrate things further further by marking it with a film which I think really just embodies everything that we stand for in the show. As tonight we check out the original Godzilla from 1954. Um, But before we uh, get into that, it's time for ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode, what, if anything, has been holding your interest?
1: Well, I don't know if you remember... But um, last episode, I said I was halfway through something, because I was writing a review. I have finished it, and I have written the review, although it's not been published yet. And I wanted to talk about it. Um, So, Infernal Affairs 3. So, I think last time I mentioned that Criterion are releasing a nice Blu-ray set. Um, Yeah, we're a very boring
0: cover, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. They seem to be um, falling
0: in recently with a lot of their covers and... It's sort of like when I look at the cry- the criterion for Infernal First, it's just the
1: same shot of them on the roof that everyone else uses. Yeah, and I've got the Blu-ray set. I I don't know who put it out. I want to say Tartan, but that's impossible. Yeah, Tartan
0: put out the Infernal First trilogy originally.
1: Yeah, but not on Blu-ray. So I don't know who would have done it on Blu-ray. Tartan had gone well under before that was a thing. Anyway, I've got a blue. I think it is. I think it is Tartan, but it's probably just DVD stuck on a Blu-ray. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the first, the first film, Infernal Affairs, is a, a, a great right. It's got a great cast. It's got a a, a fairly good, great story. It's really well made. Um... It was good enough for Martin Scorsese to want to go and remake whatever we think of that. Now, for us Hong Kong film fans, it probably wasn't as great as other people might think it is, because we'd seen it all kind of before. But you get Tony Leung, you get Andy Lau, you get all sorts of other people that are famous. Anthony um, Wong playing a good guy. Role Anthony Wong. A yeah, Anthony Wong's in it. Eric Chang's in it. Um... Chapman Toe, and and it's it's a really well made put together film that had some international success and then the the directors um, which is Andrew Lau a different fellow, different Andy Lau and and Alan Mack, I think did a sequel or which which actually was a prequel which actually built upon things that we'd seen in the first film so Sean Lau and I forget who plays uh, Edison Chen is it yes play the characters to tell you what happened before the events of Infernal affairs one and it's a it's a really good film as well in fact in my mind it's probably a better film there's a lot more going on and it, it, it feels more sprawly and epic but together they're a great pairing and then they did in the same year as Infernal Affairs two they did Infernal Affairs three, which is ah. <sighs> Basically, it's let's get everybody who's ever been involved in either of those films. Fuck it doesn't matter if they're dead or not, I and mean, let's put them back together again. And what you get is is kind of two film, two stories that are told at the same time. One story is the story of Tony Lung's character, sort of filling in the gaps that weren't that didn't need to be filled in about the time, basically. It sort of happens within the time frame of Infernal Affairs 1. Um, and it just gives them an excuse to bring Chapman Toe and Eric Sang and, and Tony Lung back to basically tell something that doesn't need to be told. <laughs> it's just irrelevant and unimportant and just feels a bit like a stargazing cash grab. Now it does introduce two other characters. There's a character, I can't remember the name of the actor, but it introduces a a, a mainland undercover cop who's acting as a as a smuggler or something, um, who adds nothing to the plot whatsoever. And it also introduces Leon Lay's character, who is the sort of the antagonist or protagonist. I'm not sure if we're going to look at it for the other story, which is being told, which is told after the events of. Um, Infernal Affairs One and basically it's the story of the downfall of Andy Lau's triad member turned policeman. Um so they're telling both these stories at the same time. It's fucking confusing because Leon Lai's character looks exactly the same in both time frames, <laughs> even though they're meant to be a couple of years several years apart. So like when he's appearing in consecutive scenes but in different time frames, it's really confusing. And it's just naff. And it's just over it's just it's a two out of five because it's really well made it's really great to see all these stars blah 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 but the storyline one is irrelevant and one is shit and i know quite often you know it's i don't want to sort of say i'm in scream but you know third 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 um third installments are quite often terrible um Toy Story Three aside, I think we could probably pick up a couple of others. But on the whole, i
0: thirteen three D.
1: I'll take your word for it. But I don't know.
0: Jason gets his mask. We have the catcher in the eye, death with the spear gun. It's (laughs) it's great.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll get. I'll give you that. But it is. I know this film has it
0: free as well. That's a standard classic because Freddy gets his jives, and we get to introduce the Dream Warriors
1: and. You're not going to go for Hellraiser 3?
0: Well, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, (laughs) is good. But, I mean, after the mythology (laughs) we built in Hellraiser 2, Hellbound, it felt like a bit of a step down to just make Mm. Pinhead just a generic horror
1: character. Mm, Which is probably the problem with a lot of Hellraiser... Anyway, back to this. So... I, I'd forgotten how much I disliked it, <laughs> and and there will be a review up soon on easternkicks.com where I piss on it. Um going <laughs> to look forward to seeing that. But but I really love the first two films. Um, am I going to buy the Criterion box set of this?
0: <laughs> You've bought a number of other things that you
1: can't even play, so the jury's out mm. there. That that's true with with my houseu and my moth right? Yeah. Um I don't think I will. I I I, I think you Now, we've we've looked at a number of films by people like Johnny Toe, right? Or even um Oh, what's the fella called that does all the bullet ballet stuff that you keep trying to get me to watch his John films? Um, John Woo John Woo, and people like that. I think those <coughs> films are better Hong Kong police thrillers than the Infernal Affairs. I think the Infernal <laughs> Affairs has got has got. Um, I think the first film is 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 interesting. The second film is 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 a, you know is 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 pretty pretty darn good. But the third film really ruins it. So I'm not going to be buying the box set. I'm I'm sorry, Criterion, but. Um, thank you for letting me review it, but I was really disappointed. However, I would be really interested if people want to put up a strong defence of that film. And am I just being a bit moody? <laughs> I don't know. I've got another one to watch in the review, but I haven't got round to it yet, which I um, I think I'm also going to be pissing on. So <laughs> Sorry, Eureka, in advance. <laughs> that'll be for episode 101. I'll talk about that. Um, so that's all I've really watched for sort of various reasons. Um, nothing to do with the film club. Just been a busy couple of weeks. What about yourself? Have you seen anything
0: good? I've seen a couple of bits and pieces. Um, one is pretty phenomenal and the other is not so great. So I don't know which way you want to go with first.
1: Uh, um, I think we'll have the not so great. So at least we build up to Something positive at the okay. end.
0: The absolute bottom of the pile is a recent w- first-time watch through Mumbai. Um, everyone's favourite art house and indie streaming platform. Which I know, Stephen, uh, you subscribe by the year, well, don't you? So
1: I, I love it. So you got me into it by giving me one of those subscriptions. Yes. And I I have to make sure I watch two films a month on okay. it. To make sure I get the value for money out of it, and as an Asian cinema fan, there isn't a lot on there. There's 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 some, but it's got its favourite directors. But as a fan of British cinema and short films and things like that and documentaries, it's bloody fantastic, and I still only pay five ninety nine a month for it and. I say only, you know, and, and there are other streaming services I have, but I watch it more. So I've got you to thank for it. Um, I have to make sure I watch it, but I do always enjoy what I have watched on okay. it. It's, it's, it's got a funny business model, hasn't it? So basically, there's they've got a set of films, it's like a 100 films that sort of... A catalog that moves around. Yeah, they've basically but
0: if, the the but original every day, model was that they had um, a rolling fer- thirty selection of titles, mm. and since it's gained its uh, in popularity, they've actually got titles that they put out themselves, and they've mm. uh, such a, things such as like High Life and the new Park Chan Wook that they put out. Um, Beneath the Silver Lake, they also put out.
1: Yeah, they they they, they dis- distribute a lot of films. That pleasure was another one yes. I enjoyed that they've distributed recently. Um, but basically, every day they put a new film on, or, or or they and and I have noticed a lot of them are short films these days because maybe there's only so many films they can have every day. <laughs> but um, I I usually really enjoy it. Um, well, they've just had um, last one. Tree is the kingdom. They have, well, and they've got a, a new version, haven't they? Of the yeah, the well.
0: uh, the longer awaited part three, because I know, obviously, we wait a long time for Twin Peaks season three, and the Kingdom season three, again, is another, like, 20-plus wait, and it's really the fact that Lars von Trier has um, started diverting symptoms of Parkinson's that sort of gave him the kick that he needed, and he admits that it was an absolutely horrible shoot, but we finally have the third part to uh, the Kingdom
1: yeah, so in on the whole, I you know if, if you like art house or world cinema, I'd really really recommend Mumbai. So what is it that you've watched that you didn't like?
0: <laughs> this was Sexual Drive. This is by Kota Yoshida, who um, also did a film called Torture Club, which was like a play on BDSM in high school. And um, this is a this is. Bad because I mean this is a seventy-minute film and it's a drag. So for a seventy-minute film to be a drag to get through, it's really saying a lot. But it's <coughs> basically it's a collection of three stories that are intertwined by this name, this man named Carita, uh, who basically appears in all three of them. Um, and yeah, I just didn't get on with it at all. It's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be this very erotic sort of film, but in the end it just felt very tedious um, And it the basic of the stories are we have got a designer who's who um, Karita turns up with um, after suffering a stroke and he claims that he's had an affair with he's been having an affair with this man's um, wife who's a doctor and It's about him trying to come to terms of the fact that she's had an affair with a guy who's uh, basically paralysed on one side. He's kind of like um, Kaiser Sose in um, Usual Suspects.
1: Yeah, I understand. I'm just saying, <laughs> it's, it's a
0: bit of a out-there analysis. Mm. Um, and then we've got, we've got uh, two other stories, including one where Karita's uh, trying to get this uh, woman to run him over with his car. Um and uh, another one who with this guy who's trying to end a relationship with his lover It was just an absolute drag to get through. Um there is some erotic imagery in there, but it's all very sort of art house version of erotica and you know what, if you want to watch something, you know, kinky and arty, just go and watch Cronenberg's crash instead. You'll have a much more fun <clears> time.
1: Yeah, it's all part of this sort of season of films they've got. I've just looked it up. That are sort of meant to be experimental and stuff. There seems to be an interesting Vietnamese film on there called Taste, which I might add to my list. <laughs> but um, yeah, okay. okay. What about what did you what did you watch that was good?
0: Okay, we're going to skip ahead then. Um...
1: <laughs> well, you know, I have got nothing more to say, and it sounds dreadful. Oh no! I,
0: well, <laughs> I also uh, saw uh, Barking Dogs Never Bite coming off. Obviously, after the oh, last episode okay. of, of Murder. And, yeah, that did nothing for me either, so...
1: Really? Oh, that's a shame. The
0: problem I have with Barking Dogs Never Bite is the fact that it's so... It's got these two storylines that are going on. Uh, We've got the college lecturer who's basically annoyed by the sounds of the dogs in his apartment building. Um, And then we've got the government uh, official girl who... It sort of takes a upon herself to try and find out what's happening to all these dogs that are going missing, and her story is really interesting. But his was just—it did nothing for me. Just watching this guy like constantly argue with his wife, who then brings home a dog seemingly out of spite. It—it it just felt like his story was just a lot of padding, um, and. It did, it did nothing for me unlike many of his other films in his filmography so this was somehow worse than the host for myself
1: oh, i'm disappointed it's got the great Bay dunar in it <coughs> who's someone we haven't i don't oh she's in the host as well actually isn't she but um can't think we've covered anything she's been in recently um i know i know and it is um is it his first film I think it's, it's his, his first, first film, film and it also has a jazz fusion score in it, so <gasps> that's probably why I like it really <laughs> you know you know about me that's what I liked about um was it face of another I can't remember something we watched oh yeah <laughs> yeah face no of... no 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 what did we watch with um rashmi
0: oh that was um pale flower
1: pale flower that's got a Jazz Fusion score that you just dis- disagreed with. <laughs> yeah, bird is
0: in The Host. She's in Cloud Atlas, Sympathy for mm. Mr. Vengeance, and Jupiter Ascending.
1: That's right, and she's in that TV show that the Wachowskis did as well. Um, Sensei. Sensei, Which I've never yes. watched, so... Ah, yes. And she, she's great. She's in a film called Linda, 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 which we're going to have to watch one day. Um, about a Japanese, even though she's Korean, um, a Japanese um, school... Girl band, like 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 swing girls, but lazier. And um, she's also in the Korean version of The Ring. She's the main character in that. She's not. I remember now. I've got to go back and watch it. I don't think she's the the, the antagonist. I think she's a protagonist in it. If I remember rightly. But yeah she's great. Oh, I'm disappointed. I'm sad you didn't like it, but it's probably not. His, it's not his greatest. Yeah. Yeah, well, I won't be bringing that to the show.
0: (laughs) Things We had Deliverance from Evil from 2020, which is a Korean revenge thriller um, directed by Won Chang Hong. I don't know if you saw this one. It was on Film 4 recently. I
1: don't think so. But you're going to describe the plot to me.
0: Okay, well, basically, we have a... Korean contract killer who, after completing his last job, decides he's going to retire. However, the last job he took out, which was on a Yakuza boss, his brother decides to come looking for him. At the same time, he finds out that he has a daughter from his ex-girlfriend who's been hiding out over in Bangkok, so heads over there, only to find out she, the daughter has been sold off to, um, to human beings. Organ traffickers, and he sets out to uh, to rescue her all the while with this yakuza psychopath on his tail. Um, this is just a really fantastic revenge thriller. Um, it's got some really fantastic action beats in it as well. Um, a lot of it shot with that that um, one one take style, but thankfully it's not the whole film. It actually bothers to breathe in it, unlike Carter.
1: Oh, who the uh, yeah, oh yeah, we didn't like Carter, did we? No, no, we did not. But no,
0: if you uh, get a chance to see this one, as I said, it was on uh, Film Four and the All Demand service. But I think it has come off there now. But uh, no, this was just a really fantastic uh, thriller from start to finish. I just really enjoyed it. It's <coughs> kind of reminds me a lot of like Man from Nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you have got you know this man with a particular set of skills going and making a very miserable time for a group of crime
1: crime bosses i i i recognize the cover i haven't seen it but i see it stars hwang jun min who is one of my favorite korean actors um so what's he been in that we have so he's in shiri a film we've talked about a lot but never watched Together. Yep. He's um, a side character in A Better Sweet Life, which we have covered. He's the uh, main character in You Are My Sunshine, which is an amazing AIDS drama. <laughs> um, and A Man Who Is Superman. That's a fantastic film as well. Moby Dick, Dancing Queen, New World. Yes. Um, violent Prosecutor. Yeah, no, he's a great. Wailing. He's in the Wailing. My God. He, yeah, he's, um, he's a brilliant actor. And um, so I think I will try and check that out. Because it's a film I just clearly have missed. And obviously, I've missed it on film four. I'll have to find another way of getting hold of it.
0: <coughs> I would imagine it's going to swing back around yeah, again. They, they like to repeat things. So. Yeah, I'll
1: just keep my eye on them. Every, every couple of months, I just sit here with my TiVo box and just fast forward through the film four for the next few weeks to see what's turning up.
0: What are you going to do? You've got to see what's happening after the nine o'clock movie. Mm. Because that's when they show all the good like foreign films and the indie films, uh, all the uh, good stuff tends to be around that that yeah. period.
1: I I, I I do sometimes, although my um, my 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 Virgin Media TiVo box broke a couple of weeks ago at the weekend, and uh, I lost all my recordings. Oh, that's annoying. Uh, yes, yes, and no. What I will say is is that Virgin Media and I'm not this is not sponsored. Um, I was able to get a replacement without having to phone them up, which is always a bonus. (laughs) You could do it all online. And the fellow that came around to replace it was bloody brilliant and actually fixed my Wi-Fi that I didn't know was broken. So um, as well as doing that. And he went outside trying to find the junction box in the rain, which was three quarters of a mile away. And he disappeared for nearly an hour and came back soaked to the skin, but showed me that all my Wi-Fi channels were now working not that i realized that they weren't but fair play to him so yes but i will i'll have to I'll have to fill up the old TiVo box again so i don't don't know why i shared that with you in the audience but <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, the exciting developments that are happening over here. yeah
1: but but I've, but that's because <coughs> i have got a ranty story which is related to ocean cinema film club coming up but i'll let you just talk about anything else you've seen
0: no, that was that was uh, that was it. I've tried. I started watching uh, Nobody, which I got recommended by team member Steph, which is on Netflix.
1: The um,
0: it's about the serial killer using the data. Oh,
1: yes, I'd like to see that. Oh, well, you're gonna um, t- if you're gonna tell me it's no not worth seeing, I won't. But <laughs> I, I, the first
0: half of episode one was great, and then you, unfortunately, Inside Job um got its second season this week, so. It sort of derailed me. And if you've not seen Inside Job, it's up there with like solo opposites of one of these great adult animated shows, ah. which are just like thrown out there on the, on the, on like, um, your subscriptions. Like, solo opposites on Disney Plus. So you'd be an excuse not watching it because you think, you know, Disney Plus is just Marvel movies and Disney cash ins and stuff. But, you know, occasionally they have something good appear on there, like The Bear. And, um,. Inside Job is on uh, Netflix and it's just phenomenal.
1: And we've all only got so much time, haven't we? There's there's so much to consume. Just remember when we only had three channels here in the UK and videotapes weren't a thing and there was never anything to watch. And we used to look across the Atlantic at the 52 channels or whatever it was that that America had. As Bruce Springsteen sang, 52 (laughs) channels and nothing on. But... Now there's so much. There's a million channels and an infinite number of streaming things, and we can have everything when we want it. And I just find it impossible sometimes. I Do you sometimes just get paralysed and not able to choose what to watch because the choice is so massive? You just watch watch Simpsons right Is that is that what that you do? Is that your is that if if, this, this if
0: that's what I do? You, Here we go. 100 channels of Simpsons reruns. <laughs> it's just like that Bill Hicks skit, isn't it? But instead of American Gladiators, it's now The Simpsons. (laughs) And now we have, like, Free V, where it's just, like, basically seems to be every time I go on there, it's just, like, more movies and shows that I want to watch, but they're for free. Yeah, I haven't explored that yet. I am getting
1: bombarded with If you get
0: a Fire Stick, Mm. um, then it pretty much works them into, like, your Amazon Prime. Gotcha.
1: I have got a Fire Stick, I just... Before.
0: But how do you not? How do you not like use it all the time? It's like the greatest thing. I've
1: got other ways. So the fast stick I'd use in the bedroom, but I've recently moved my PS4 into my bedroom, and now TV. <laughs> that, that all I do is do that. There, and there's another insight. Into really, my selling world. the
0: hip lifestyle that we are anyway. behind you now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really don't have it. Well, so. I'm gonna go on a little bit of a rant now, but hopefully there's a happy store happy thing in there. So you know you like to give me a hard time. I, I don't give you a hard time, I <laughs>
0: question why you buy why you buy like <laughs> vinyl when you don't have a record player. It's like yeah it's like why'd you buy a gun rack when you don't have yeah, a Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm I'm t- <laughs> I'll take t- that one on the chin, but I think Yeah. Whereas but I think I think some sort of the DVDs and Blu-rays you sometimes question why I bother buying them. Or, or waste money on them so one of the great releases of last year which has fed this show a couple of times was the was the arrow Shore scope volume one and we talked a little bit about Shore scope volume two coming out and you did mention to somebody in the facebook group that i was getting it which was quite right and about it did, it's hard to tell because obviously this is this is in the future now when people are listening to this. But let's just say ten days ago, mine was shipped to me, and for various reasons, I I didn't really pay much attention and only just realised this week, say eight, about a week later, that I hadn't turned up yet, <laughs> and I then have been on a journey of discovery involving, and I'm going to name and shame them, Parcel Force and Arrow, about what happens when a <laughs> parcel isn't delivered, but they don't tell you they were going to deliver it. <laughs> is it still is it still not being delivered? So basically what happened was some little fella, and I'm going to assume it was a little fella because that's just what, how it is in my head, Decided that he couldn't deliver it to my house, potentially because I wasn't in. Because he did pick the one half day I wasn't in in the last month, but fine, that's it. But instead of taking it back to the parcel force office, he decided to half inch it. That's the only that's steal it for anybody not from the south of England. Um, half inch pinch. Um, and 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 then I went on a voyage trying to find the parcel force office in Reading, the town I live in, which is 1.3 miles away (laughs) from its GPS location (laughs) around Reading's one-way system uh, at the wrong time of day. I eventually got to the Parcel Force office and a man, I'm not sure audio is going to do this, but a man shuffled out at the customer service desk, looked at me and went, (sighs) as if... I was the last person he wanted to see today, being that he was in customer service at Parcel Force. I'm guessing no one ever comes to him with a happy story. I explained to him that that this parcel had not been delivered because I checked it out on the Amazon website. And luckily they'd put the tracking number on there. And um, he types it and goes, and he suddenly brightens up and says oh yes i remember this it was some cds or dvds wasn't it yes i was talking to the company that sent it to you yeah it's been lost and, and he was really happy to tell me that and then he said if i had your phone number i would have phoned you and told you i said but you have my address that didn't go down very well anyway of course now it's all up for me to solve so then i tried to deal with arrow from their website who as with many companies these days, I'm sure you've found this, refuse to publish a phone number yeah. because they want you to go through some system. So they've got a live chat that doesn't work and a messaging system, which is run by email, but you're not really sending them emails. So I sent them a message about this order saying it had, um, I'd done this order and I've been told it had been lost. And about six hours later, I got a message back saying, don't worry about it. It's just in... um." It's just in transit. You'll get it soon. And I thought, oh, goodness. and they closed the request. So I had to open up a new one saying, You're not reading what I'm saying. <laughs> you are not listening to what I'm telling you. <laughs> and had to, um, in the meantime, Parcel 14 sent me an email telling me gleefully that it was lost. And I gave them a screenshot of this email because you can't attach it because it's not really an email system. It's just a text box. And luckily, the second person wrote back and said, Ah, oh, yes, we understand now, we'll send you a replacement. And then the next day, somebody sent me in email saying, we understand now, we'll send you a replacement. So right. I think I've had a replacement sent to me, this time using DPD rather than Parcel Force. And hopefully next episode, mate, I can, I'll tell you I've got it. But the sad news is I didn't even know I hadn't got it. And I have now <laughs> wasted a, a day of my life trying to track it down. <laughs> So I may have got it for the cheaper price of £120, but I feel I've spent about £50 trying to get it and therefore wiped out any um, any benefit I have. <laughs> Moral of the story is, never use Parcel Force. Ordering things direct from Arrow is great for price, but just be aware there is a... Well, to be fair, I guess eventually they got it sorted. I just don't feel like in this world where we're used to things getting delivered to us at home, Because we never leave the house anymore. Um, It's a very disappointing story. Then it turns out, even funnier, whilst I was at Parcel Force, another delivery from Parcel Force literally knocked on my door and said I wasn't in and didn't put the card through the door either. (laughs) But luckily they came and delivered it the next day. So there you go, that's a moan. Because I wanted to tell you all about my lovely new box set. And instead I've just wasted half a day of my precious life trying to track it down. And that was the sponsorship deal with Arrow By pissing yeah. them off when I, Yeah, Arrow, Parcel Force, all of them They can fuck off <laughs> Don't worry. <wait, laughs> Arrow? Don't worry, Arrow? I still love you Ah. No, I love I I love Arrow, of course, and it looks like they have sorted it out. I think my I think my issue is not with Arrow, mm. who are brilliant, and I think I've done my fair share of pimping every release they've put out in the last two years. It, my issue is with the modern world. Do you
0: want to Do you want to know my journey to uh, watch to getting to see the Scope Volume Two? Go on. I,
1: you got the Arrow plan. Yeah, I
0: woke up <laughs> at nine o'clock and had a piece of toast and put on the Arrow plan. Oh, it was just all there. Didn't need to worry about it getting lost in transit or anything. And it's just
1: available for me to watch in my underwear. It's... But when Arrow go bust and they don't exist anymore, and the but Arrow you know player's not there anymore...
0: At the end of the day, it'd just be transferred somewhere else. It will turn up I... somewhere else the same way that it was originally on Amazon. And then when Amazon lost it, well, before Amazon, it was on um, Robert Rodriguez's channel...
1: You're so you're such a believer in. Um, I just go with the flow, man. I'm like water. <sighs> I, I I I just anyway, it's, a, it's another discussion for another day. But you
0: know what? You, know, you can't hold back the machine, man. It's just gonna roll yeah. over you. Just-
1: just you wait. Just you wait. To all streaming services infected with a terrible virus, and you'll be begging me to borrow my Shawscope Volume One and Two sets. <laughs> <laughs> and and then no DVD or Blu-ray players will work anymore, so they'll be fucking useless. It's like that, that
0: uh, Crumb cartoon of the uh, guy in the post-apocalyptic world carrying the TV. Is like needs a way to plug in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. That that is a that is a possibility. I um I only found out. This week that both my PlayStation Four and Five don't play CDs. <laughs> you try to put one in. <laughs> well, I wanted to listen to some music in the bedroom, right? And I had it on CD rather than a streaming service, and I thought, oh, that's weird. The PS Four doesn't play CDs. I'll go in the front room and put it in the in the uh, in the PS Five. That I had to look it up. Yeah, they haven't played CDs for about twenty years because <laughs> it's a completely different sort of laser, isn't it? It makes sense why it doesn't play them, but I, I just. I, I, yeah, I, I, the good news is, mate, I've got a Sega Saturn right next to it and that played it just fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you're going to be it's playing a,
0: anything else on there apart from like Virtual Cop and
1: uh,
2: oh,
0: Pantanser Dragon. It's,
1: it's Panzer Dragoon, yeah. Well, I've got that on my Switch. But, um, oh no, the Sega Saturn's got, because I like my shmups, it's got loads of classic. Japanese stuff is fantastic. UK stuff, Brit- uh, European stuff. Yeah, bit meh. That's why I've got my GameCube. So everyone knows now I have a GameCube for so Sega Saturn and then you have the, <laughs> PS4 Yeah, have have a Nintendo in my Fisher
0: Price. I oh, I love my
1: I love that. And I've also It's got, a box uh, with so a co- handle on. Yeah, well, where are you supposed to be carrying so it to? Uh no, no, I've got to agree with you. That bit of I never understood. But the modern world, I've got a um I've got SD card solutions for those two systems and it's amazing. I've also got a Super Famicom, which I just have NBA Jam <coughs> plugged into. That's the only game I'll play on there. And I'm sure there are better versions of NBA Jam. Anyway, episode 100. It's a celebration. Woo! I know.
0: Not that you could tell from Stephen's
1: anti- <laughs> No, my on grumpiness. Amazon
2: uh, no,
1: I haven't attacked Amazon. Attacked Arrow. I've attacked Arrow. I've attacked the British delivery organisations. Yeah. I I think I did I did say that they it looks like they've sent it via DPD the second time round so I don't think I'm the only person who's been complaining about this. But but the man- no, we
0: have done now a, well, we have done a hundred episodes now of the show. A hundred mainline. Episodes. Yeah, a hundred mainline. Because obviously we've had other episodes where we obviously had Takashi Miike month and we had Anthony Wong month and we had those months where we managed to piss off most of the critics in the BBC. (laughs) Who then sent us very angry letters because it apparently turned out they were listening. With diagrams. Yes.
1: Yes. And we've also had obviously the Battle Royale
0: stuff. In True. so We did our complete chapter by chapter breakdown of Battle Royale. Um... I still feel at some point we will do battle royale too in some way, shape, or form. Mm. Um, I just, I just say it just feels that it's it's just lingering there in the shadows, just supposed to do. I know
1: that. I, n- I never want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're gonna get. You know, you're gonna get listening roulette now. To...
1: I know, I know. I was, th- I was thinking. I was thinking. I've just, I've just a little look through. Yeah, we've done a. Well, we've actually done. Yeah, we have done 100 mainline episodes, although episode eight was technically a horror draft and it wasn't quite a film in the same way. But, yeah, I was just looking through and seeing the wide range of films that we have covered.
0: <laughs> and um, No, for myself, I think the really fun ones have been, like, where we just, like, looked at something that's been completely either out of left field or just just took us completely by surprise. Mm-hmm. Um like Pale Flower, for example. Mm. I thought was was just such a a big surprise. And I mean I've it's often always the ones that we get recommended episodes for that turn out to be the best episodes. So I'm sure Rashmi's really
1: happy with herself now. And 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 it was nice to have Rashmi on the show. Well, it was nice to have, have it, be on I, I, Indeed. I you know, I I do enjoy the shows that when we get like an extra perspective, um, and that was an interesting because I don't think either of us had watched this film before, have we? And you know, she came on championing it, and I and we both really enjoyed it.
0: Certainly, um, me in my and, top and, ten and, and, films of this year, definitely.
1: And and obviously, I you know I've spoken before. I always worry sometimes for some of the films that I pick that you're going to hate them, and I think vice versa as well. I think that I think because we both come from a well, the advert is, is that we come from a slightly different... Or completely different place. Um, <laughs> it's like the odd um, couple of podcasting. It, it, it is a bit. But then we'll do something like... Um, a, a much more recent film. You know, a film I've talked about for years. Or episode 87 is when we talked about Swing Girls. Which I must have talked about since the second episode we've ever done. Yep. And I bring it up every time I can. And then when we actually... I, it was your pick, for one. Yep. And, and I... Th- if I hopefully I remember rightly, you bloody loved it. Oh,
0: definitely! Swing Girls is is fantastic. Um, much like Giants and Toys, episode ninety one, mm. that was another fantastic um, film as well.
1: And again, again, a film I've been going on and on about. And then, I guess that's because it got an Arrow release. It's got on the Arrow player. <laughs> yeah, <didn't> it? <laughs> I mean, the helps you put it on the Arrow player? Just huh? just like a scene at oh. the sea is on the Arrow player, but oh. I think most people it- overlook it. Absolutely, and that's one that was recommended by a, a listener as well. Yep. Um, paid as a fiver to to review the film. We're always up for that. Um, and I, and, but then I was thinking, what have you bought <laughs> to the show that I've ended up bloody loving? Um, and I did fi- something like the Battle Wizard episode sixty three, right, <laughs> which sounds shit basically and if i'd come across (laughs) it somewhere in like i don't know in like a in like a vhs i would never have watched it um even though it's a shaw brothers film but it is bonkers (laughs) and brilliant and i loved it and um so you know sometimes you 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 you'll bring something a bit more cult um obviously um there's, there's there's been a couple of others um I thought Fish Story was really good. Yeah. That was one that you bought that I'd never heard of. And really what I would say, the, the biggest thing you've bought into my cinematic life, you know, don't get too weepy, it's not too emotional. <laughs> I'm had to but, say the biggest thing you brought into my life is penis trauma with all the things you pick. Like Mobius yeah. from
0: episode 54.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Our best-selling episode ever. <laughs>
0: I have no idea why people love Mobius so much, but... Whenever we have, like, a discussion with anyone, like... They have, like, that game on... You see on, like, horror Twitter where it's sort of like... Oh, what's the most shocking thing? And they say, like... Oh, I've seen, like, a Serbian film or the bunny game. And then you just sit there. You slide in and you go... I've seen Mobius. And then you, you have, like, the cool... Like, it's like you get a little bit of a buzz around you. It's sort of like... Oh, wow. You said Mobius.
1: <laughs> yeah. we That's our cool cachet, But surprisingly... Um, surprisingly popular. Um... <laughs> I mean, that was a film I chose. I think I chose that one. I must have. Done, yeah, because but, um, uh,
0: it came between *Female Prisoner* *Scorpion*, which is mine, and *The Big Boss*, which was mine. So,
1: yeah, but I had always wanted to watch it, but was always a bit nervous about watching it. And like, if we at least virtually watch it together, albeit in completely different locations and timeframes and stuff like that, I, I feel I feel that'll just. Uh, I'm not. I am squeamish. I'm. I'm not a fan of gore and stuff like that. And to be fair, Mobius doesn't have a lot of gore. It just has it just has very questionable ideas Shopping chopping and frotting and stuff like that. To change the subject completely, you of course have um bought nearly Satoshi Kon's every one of Satoshi Kon's films to the show, which is I think we've got we've got Paprika to do we've got and Paprika we've got and maybe the Agent, TV show. So. yeah. Um but things like Millennium Actress which was fantastic, and then and and actually, sort of episode fifty nine, if anyone's looking, um, that allowed us to understand the Ozu film Tokyo Story. Yes, the next episode better <laughs> because of because of what it what it was about. So, Tokyo Story I,
0: I, is always interesting because of the first. Half first hour of it, I don't really remember because we drank um rude dog double punk and got <laughs> oh, I completely that, wasted. Yes. <laughs> we didn't realize how strong that was,
1: <laughs> so yeah. Um, but that's all, and then and, and then there's there's things like um, it's also we've obviously sped up, we do a lot more shows now than we did at the beginning. Um, but we do things like um, you know. Some of the regrets are we don't do more Chinese films, prop mainland Chinese films. Yeah, so we did, but we did a touch of sin. That was an interesting one as well. That, um, but it's sitting down there at number forty six, and we haven't really. I guess Curse of the Golden Flower was the next Chinese film, which was only a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> so we need to do more of that. I think more, more, more Chinese films. Um, what else did we do that's I thought was in. Well, obviously, your favourite episode thirty-four, "The Terrorizers." <laughs> the Terrorizers,
0: I think, has really set the benchmark for, um, for for just how bad a viewing experience can be. The <laughs> fact that, because sometimes when you watch something, you don't quite understand it. You watch something like, say, Dog Two, for example, and then you do a podcast on it on it, and you work it out between you. With with terrorizers, I still had no clue what was going on when I've watched it. I had no clue what was going on after we discussed it and it did nothing for me unlike something like Goodbye Dragon Gave In.
1: Oh, oh Goodbye Dragon In, yes. Which was a film I bought to the show, I think yep, sixty eight and uh and 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 I didn't think you were going to like it at all. That was when <laughs> I really, really appreciated
0: it. It more because we had obviously had the discussion on it because it's a very sort of abstract movie. It's mm. you just are playing the observer, and there's a lot of weird sort of subplots going on, such as the guy looking for love in all the wrong places. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we we sandwiched that one between Dajamin in 67
1: and Ninja Scroll at 69. So. Yeah, I mean, Darja a film I love, um, but I, enough so much, so I bought the trilogy, um, Ninja Scrolls, like, an animated Japanese X-Men, isn't it, um, if I remember it's rightly? It's a
0: pop samurai movie, yeah, but...
1: Yeah, but I will say, probably my favourite episode of all time, and I suspect you're going to guess which one it is, is when the joke was on me, when I introduced you and Zoe to oh, a God. Japanese romantic comedy, the classic, <laughs> yes. and the... the and, and expecting you and the Queen of Gore to—I know I was deliberately aimed it because I thought you'd both hate it, and you both bloody loved it, <laughs> which was the jokes on me. But that was—I thought that was a really good episode. um One I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I probably wouldn't have seen. Seen that I've obviously seen just do for the show because as I said you push the taste out there by making me watch mm. things. So things like Peppermint Candy, I probably wouldn't have watched. Um, the Classic, obviously, another example there. Um, and finally getting to see um, Chunking Express.
1: Yes, although you—that was your choice. Was, it was I'm one of my really it, first, you also, see, first yeah. the first
0: cinema shame, and mm. I know that you rated it very highly, and I think obviously having this now having this platform to to finally watch it, it seemed like the perfect time to watch it. But before that, you obviously introduced me to uh, the good, the bad, and the fabulous—that is, tears of the black tiger.
1: Oh yeah, that that which was my technically my first choice. It wasn't was it? yeah, and and. I'm, that's still a film I love. It's, it's. We've only done two Thai films, haven't we? We've done that in Chocolate. I don't think we've done any others. I, there's there's a lot to go through. But yeah, that that's a that's a lovely film, and that. Uh, but yeah, how, how did you call it? Mad, bad, and fabulous. No, the good, the bad, and
0: the fabulous. <laughs>
1: the good, the bad, because it's a very yes. camp
0: western, and it's shot it, it in is. such wonderful technical color. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's. Yeah, that, it's Campus Christmas, that movie is. <laughs>
1: no, I, I, and I'm glad, you know, again, a bit of a risk putting it out there because it's a bit of a, you know, it's obscure even for me. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad you liked it. And then some other things that happen is um, like, something like Pedicab Driver, which I can't believe was episode 12. It feels much more recent, which was basically you introducing me to Samo Hung. I mean, I knew who he was, but... I think that was the first time I'd seen a film specifically saying, "Hey, look, here's Sammo Hung," and uh, yeah, I've been quite a fan ever since. So it go it cuts both ways.
0: Oh, definitely so. And I think when you listen to like number sixteen, The Killer, and you get to see listen to people have very opposite opinions (laughs) (laughs) on what was happening in that movie.
1: Yeah, I just have problems with the plot. I, 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 I appreciate the action. I just think it's nonsense. <laughs>
0: um, but then again, I mean, you you also brought, like, Wolda Kanako for number 37. <sighs> the movie you said you openly hated, but you still mm. picked it.
1: I did. Well, I think um, I'm a big fan of the director. Yes. And and, and I'd, I'd obviously I'd seen him present it in London, and I, I always felt... There's been a couple of films I've bought where I thought... I want to rewatch this with you and with our audience to see if I miss something. And I can't remember what I said. I, I, I think I, I think I appreciated it a little bit more, but still found it empty and horrible, but you bloody loved it. And you brought it into our it top is. 100 films. And I just couldn't, have, I've literally, I've still got the, I've still got a DVD of it to give to you. <laughs> I mean, he was like, I, you I've, can
0: have this.
1: Well, no, I've got, two copies oh, okay. for reasons for reasons um, but yes i um yeah it's a film i really struggle with because i love the director yeah. um, uh,
0: what else i think, think. the other Anything thing that we've else. learned is that anthony wong may be in a lot of bad movies but we'll always be the best thing in them um, as we saw with things such as like um, cop mission and uh, mm. untold story one and two and they've got on the record of saying untold story two is better than until story one
1: well you've got a record and said that. yeah that's what i said (laughs) (laughs) just distancing myself that opinion um yes yeah anthony wong makes any movie better and i've always thought that and you doing anthony wong month only went to prove it i think you also proved you can watch too many takashi miike movies yeah, Takashi tired. <laughs> yeah,
0: Takashi Mikame Month was 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 fun on one hand aspect because of the fact I got across a lot of stuff off the wish list. Um such as um that oh, what was the one where the play all the games uh, as the Gods oh, Will. Like, like, like,
1: yeah, as Gods Will. Um, yeah. The one that they're never going to make yeah, a they, sequel to, so we don't know how it's going to finish. <laughs> again, we, we looked
0: at Death Note 1 and we didn't realise that ended a cliffhanger, and we had every intention of going back to watch that one. <sighs> yeah, did we though? Let's see. <laughs> Death Note was. Well, it's quite a way back.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. Now, I will say. I think when we talked about this, we were going to talk about you know, our favourite episodes and things like that. We've done a bit of a random thing, but I you know, I did say the classic. But I think <coughs> you deserve credit for there is one episode in particular where you've bought a film I didn't know existed that I think we both absolutely enjoyed. Mm. And really, if we ever get a chance to produce and distribute a film, <laughs> this will be the one. There's episode 57. I think you know yeah, what know I'm talking what about. A Penguin's Memories which is the most surreal high concept of any film I think we've covered um basically about penguins with PTSD yeah. that that if you think about it too hard it really doesn't make any sense but on the other hand it's brilliant and touching and funny and clever and sad and <laughs> it's probably it's probably the most emotional film we've covered and yet, it exists only on YouTube. And I think, did I not find a, a laser disc version there or something a, in Yeah, there was Japan? a laser yeah. disc of
0: it. Um, it's Will Slater over Exploding Helicopter who first introduced me to it and then just sent me down this whole rabbit hole of finding out about a penguin's memory. And it is just this legendary lost piece of media uh, that nobody's sure who owns the rights to it. And it's one that, you know. We constantly said it's sort of like it needs a criterion release. It just to preserve it because it does exist on YouTube. But it's uh yeah, it's the deer hunter with penguins, and it's it is really something.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, it's that's definitely one of the top three episodes that we've done because it was just a complete. When you even when you suggest, it, I thought, what the fuck are you doing? is this this your idea of a joke but actually it was brilliant and then you compare and contrast that to something like some hot film like Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes right that even people I work with have seen who have no interest in that that I think we were both somewhat disappointed in
0: yeah it it didn't seem to it sort of overstretches its concept unlike something Mm. like One Cut of the Dead Mm. which only gets smarter as it goes on um but yeah beyond the infinite two minutes it it came with a lot of hype um, and it sort of like struggled to to live up to that I think I think it was built up a, a lot really so but now it's I, I think looking over our first 100 I think we've got a we've entered into it with a a good mix of uh, of titles. We've not done anything. We've not stuck with like the cult stuff. We've not stuck with like the highbrow stuff. We've sort of switched back and forth between it, and I think that's what's made it a fun, such a fun project to do for this first hundred episodes, and obviously just continue going. Now we just see how far we go now, because it's obviously once you hit a
1: hundred, it's all like, why well, don't you just keep
0: going now? Really, I guess.
1: Well, we have got an option. we either give up now or we keep going. And I think we've both got plenty of films. Every time we say, "Oh, we must include this one in the future." I think we've got an infinite amount of um, yeah. films to cover. Um, you know, maybe we'll try and look at maybe some yeah, couple more spin-off projects, like, like, like you know, like the like the battle royale that we did, like your sacrifices of months of your life. To watching every film starring or directed by somebody, they're they they're, they're nice. I've got another
0: I've got another season in mind for for next year. So as you said, okay. the plan is to do five and have my Thanos glove of Asian <laughs> cinema where I can just snap my fingers and eliminate lesser podcasts that are in our way. But yeah.
1: I think I think at the end of the day though we've covered a wide range of movies. You've covered live action, we've covered animated films. You know, I don't really like anime, but you've managed to get at least four or five animated films in. I've liked them all. And kaiju perfectly. movies are
0: yeah, the to watch a few of those as well.
1: Uh, well, and and more than that, I've invested significant money into kaiju movies, and you know, and that and that leads on to t- what we're doing tonight, right? The, the the daddy of kaiju movies, which to be fair is a film I already liked, but you've got me interested in not just Godzilla. Not just Gamera, but Daijimin Pulgasari. That was a great film. <laughs> <laughs> Although it really was Digermin just for North Koreans. Um, but we've done old films, we've done new films, we've done the trendy directors, we've done completely obscure stuff. So that's what I like about our show is that we are not trapped in either modernity um, or genre. And you do not know what You know, we're going to do a film from 1954 tonight. I don't know what we're going to do next episode. That's the other nice thing as well. I like that that we don't really plan that with each other. It's always a bit of a shock to say. I also really like the fact that we've had (laughs) such a,
0: we built such a great little community uh, over like the Facebook group. Mm. And I mean, this is as I said, this is a we don't claim to be like the be-all and end-all when it comes to like Asian simmer things, I mean, i frequently mispronounce things on this show. We're the only show who has a disclaimer to apologise for the amount I'm going to mispronounce because
1: I think I think I think that's part <laughs> of the charm, right? Is that is that is no. that you can't and pronounce everyone says Japanese, Japanese names, is the easy ones, but... which are the easiest ones. Yeah, that's the easy one. I can't pronounce any Chinese is a mystery to me. (laughs) Um, So between us, we must be causing offence up and down the country. But you're absolutely right. We've got a a really nice Facebook group, you know, and, 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 you know, we've already mentioned Rashmi tonight, came on the show from the Facebook group. We get nice comments all over the place. Um, We really like it when people make suggestions to us. Um, whether or not you want to come on the show or not is a completely different thing but please tell us what you like what you don't like um, and I like it again Again, the group is similar you know, you've got people like Rashmi who will talk about the yep. the art house stuff but there's plenty of people in the group talk about classic Shaw Brothers or a monster movie or something like that so again I think that just shows that our community is like yep. us yeah, was, and um, quite diverse like
0: Marcus who leaves us lots of nice comments uh, mm. Yes, thank you, my fellow Bruce as well. Ah, um, oh, well,
1: he you probably appreciates saying, all
0: these random tr- bits of trivia we drop about British <laughs> pop culture.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, we, we are we are the only Asian film podcast that also talks about <laughs> 1980s True. TV shows in the UK. You get a bit of bully <laughs> and a bit of
0: <laughs> a bit of short. <laughs> so. But, uh, no, thank you. Let's <clears throat> clear my throat first. Thank you, everyone, obviously, for supporting us for these 100-plus episodes that we've recorded and for, you know, leaving us feedbacks and sharing the show and, you know, just helping us uh, continue on our onward uh, journey here and uh, making us feel like a little less that we were, like, just on an island throwing podcasts out into the ocean. So... It. so thank you very much
1: uh, and please tell us what you like so much about the Mobius episode and why that is so much more popular than <laughs> any other episode we've done <laughs> it it's been I d- never thought
0: that when we started the show <coughs> we would be the thing we'd be most known for is the sheer amount of penis traumas movies that we will have covered with no Indeed. intention of ever yes, doing it, it just been, became this random theme that's appeared
1: throughout our show, so <laughs> luckily not tonight <coughs> no. he, I don't think I'm so. <laughs> just trying to think no, not tonight well, on
0: that note it's uh, time to fire the projector for tonight's feature presentation we're going to tonight look at it, of course Godzilla from 1954 <laughs> Godzilla, released in 1954, directed by Ishiro Honda, uh, one of the five godfathers of uh, Godzilla. Uh, The film itself sees Japan being thrown into a panic when civil ships uh, mysteriously explode and sunk near Oda Island, and an expedition led by Professor Yohei Yamane discovers that something has been awoken by the nearby aid and bomb testings. Uh, that's something being, of course, the 50-meter-tall monster who the natives call Gojira. And now, with the monster on the rampage, and threatens to destroy not only Japan, but the entire world. It's up to a small crack team of scientists to find a way to destroy the monster. Uh, Godzilla, obviously, the legendary king of monsters that he is. He has not only gone on to inspire... An incredible legacy of some 70 plus years of filmmaking wonder but also has managed to have spin-offs in America and spawned cartoon series uh, both uh, as well as introducing a host of Koizu brethren into the mix from Anglis and Spiger and Manila we
1: had a gun in Final Wars and we didn't use it <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, it's it's more than that because Godzilla is a pop culture icon. Even if you haven't seen a Godzilla film, I think people would know who Godzilla is, or have some idea of of it. You know, it's a it's a pop, you know, it's a Japanese, internationally recognised pop culture icon, and it's really interesting to go. But I, I mean, I've obviously we've both seen this film before multiple times right but it's it's really interesting to go back to see how it started and that how different to just about every other godzilla film it is <laughs> it's, although the the tech tech and 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 what i did this time is got out the old criterion set spine a thousand and 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 listen to the what's it called the commentary which is not something i do very often and it's more of a sort of a video essay than a commentary in that regard. Um, it's just time to go along with the film. But it's really good and really interesting and it gave some real historical context to to the movie, which sometimes maybe I don't know, people do people sometimes just think as Godzilla films as a bit silly films with Yeah, generally so, and I suits. think
0: suddenly when you look at the Shower Era, which runs from here through to seventy four, the main sort of crux of the series really was just giant monsters stomping on Tokyo and engaging in monster-sized smackdowns. And certainly that is a lot of fun, but when we look at Godzilla 1954, it's a much more sober affair. Uh, this is a film which not only... It treats uh, Godzilla with a almost scientific approach, but also has him fully play as a monster. He has no one to go up against apart from humanity. And we have really sort of harrowing and sober scenes of like field hospitals and just the extent of the damage that he causes here. But the film itself, one of its big inspirations was the beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which was released a year before. And that inspired the... uh, Producers, um, including the one producer Tomioko Tanaka, um, to look at the idea of creating a monster movie, even though this film had originally started being based on the true story of a group of Japanese fishing boats that had sailed too close to American nuclear testing waters. And you can see we're in the final film, there are several scenes which are basically being carried across into this film. Suddenly, um, we see films we see shots of like the boats and we see like the nuclear light underneath and them bursting into flames so a lot of these ideas are are Mm. ideas that were carried across at the same time the original idea for Godzilla was that he was going to be like a cross between a whale and a gorilla Um, and there was also going to be ideas with a giant octopus as well which Didn't actually make the final cut, even though you can obviously see um, the giant octopus. He shows up in uh, Frankenstein Conquers the Worlds as a Anuki. So um, the giant octopus would appear elsewhere in the Toho filmography, but certainly not in this one. Um, The name of Godzilla as well is apparently based on one of the crew hands from uh, Toho Studios, which has been dismissed on um, several occasions in particular by um, Honda's wife who uh, basically said that the guys at Toho used to joke around a lot so the fact that it's based on some uh, crew hand is apparently not true though I like to think it is
1: Everything you just said um, I think also oh, I think it came from wasn't it originally going to be like a co-production between um, Jap- Toho and an Indonesian Company as almost like a kind of apology for what the Japanese did in the war. And it that's when it was going to be an octopus, a giant octopus, but it kind of broke down and they went this way. And obviously, really inspired as you suggested by the experiences, I said the Lucky Dragon number five boat. So just to put some bit more historical context on that, obviously during World War Two, um, or ending World War Two, the Americans dropped the first two atomic bombs on. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Um, and then this sort of like ten years later, they did the hydrogen bomb in islands off the coast of Japan, and the people in Lucky Dragon Number Five had gone out to try and catch some tuna, and and basically got caught in the fallout and the explosion. And about nine months later, the radio operator died, so effectively becoming the first person to be killed by a hydrogen bomb, and all these things. Are in this movie either, um, like literally, like copying what happened in history and making hints to it. But it's really in what's I didn't know this. I I found this out in this watching and listening to commentary. Like two years before, you couldn't have made this film. You, the things you couldn't show the Japanese military, for example, doing anything vaguely heroic, which is what they do, do in this film. Um, you couldn't really talk about some of this stuff because Japan was kind of under, still under sort of American rule at the time. And there was a lot of censorship about what they could do. So this film sort of got this, like, you know, what happened at Lucky Dragon number five? What happened to them? What happened to the Japanese experience around atomic and hydrogen bombs? And this... This film's got just so much more going on. I mean, Godzilla appears for about 30, no, 15 seconds in the first half of the film. Just like you just see his little head pop up above a hill and some footprints. And actually, so much of this film is just a drama about Japan in the post-nuclear age, isn't it? And, and all the fears that no other country in the world has ever had to deal with.
0: Definitely so and when you look at like the design of Godzilla you can see like the raises on his skin which is uh which is a nod to like the survivors of Hiroshima and the skin conditions that it developed afterwards. So they had that same sort of blotching, that raised uh skelliness and that's what was carried on to Godzilla's skin and it, it, when you're watching this and you see so many things which became so key to the series here, such as, like, when you open with, like, the first attempt of the Godzilla roar and it's followed by the opening strains of uh, um, kafubi's legendary Godzilla March, although they haven't quite got it as tight as you hear, like, later entries in the series, sort of, like, around, like, Destroyer Monsters, especially, with, like, Godzilla March, it's sped up slightly more... And it's just got a real sort of tightness to it but the film itself it moves at a really quick pace even though it's obviously not one of like the more sort of um campy monster romps um here as we're sort of like barely into the film and we've got ships sinking and erupting in fire on the screen and all the while we're sort of being denied these glimpses of the monster and Honda doesn't keep the monster hidden like Bruce the shark in Jaws. He shows it quite early on But it's not until the second half of the film where we get to see him in his full sort of glory There's also a really interesting line in the if you watch the dub of this uh, The scene where the villagers are like coming up and just before Godzilla pops over the mountain There's an old man who's proclaims that Godzilla has stolen all his chickens and this would be used in um, as a basis for one of Reptar's traits in Rugrats, where Reptar steals chickens. Okay. <laughs> so it's a weird line. For yeah. some reason, it resonated with the makes
1: of Rugrats that they carried it across. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, again, it have got Reptar, haven't you? Which is uh, inspired by this. But again, that comes from that Amer I mean, I know you've done a, an episode of um, MBDS with... Uh, August Rigoni about kaiju movies in general um, but but there is a there is a resonance with Americans around kaiju movies, Godzilla movies much more maybe than we have in the UK and I think we've talked about this before probably when we did Destroy All Monsters or something like that where um, you know that it's very much part of their childhood pop culture which to us it, it was more of a dirty pleasure Dirty pleasure? That sounds wrong a, a, a naughty pleasure.
0: No, it was it was sort of thing that would turn mm. up on late night Channel Four, um,
1: as 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 opposed to being on TV every Saturday morning. We, it
0: was a very to try and get to see Godzilla movies in the UK was a real was something you sort of stumbled across. It'd be something that would more than likely someone else had discovered. Like my for myself, my uncle um have recorded um Godzilla vs Sea Monster over here. It's Ebra Horror of the Deep. And he taped mm. it for himself and he just put it on and I just remember watching that and just being absolutely fascinated with it not knowing what it was and then it was like, There's more of this? <laughs> like I had no idea who Godzilla was, I had no idea like why this is giant crab but it was sort of like taps into all those things I like, which is like monsters and um like model miniature model work and stuff and it hit all those sort of notes and Godzilla this um, original film I saw really sort of towards the end of like crossing off those original movies because it never really had a release until I would say recently Um that we just had a really tough time getting hold of them we had a bunch of um titles from this era that came out through I think One Vision uh, put them out and they were like five pound tapes and they had things like Terror Mecha Godzilla and and destroy monsters invasion of the astral monsters so we had those sets and you had a couple from uh, the next era we such as like uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah and um, Godzilla versus Mothra which we'll put out for manga Tim, but there was never a label that sort of stuck with it it's like we're gonna put them all out um so much like Ultraman and Gamera it's very recently that we've been able to actually get hold of copies of these uh these films unless you had like a multi region player and you could import them all
1: yeah other than other than godzilla th- this film which had has had a bfi release for a long long time the others yeah you'd have a ragtag collection of things wouldn't you from various sources on various medias um so that 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 set that Criterion put out for at least this era is um Godsend really, isn't it? Not that you've opened your shop. Nope, but... Still in the plastic. <laughs> but I, I use mine all the because I, I it's a lovely um, other than our common complaint that nothing they put out fits on the shelf. <laughs> it is it is a it is a lovely thing. I'm glad I waited a little bit to get fifty it fifty quid cheaper. But it's a lovely set, you know, it's well if you're a fan of this kind of movie. Well, if you're a fan of kaiju movies, it's really good. I I still maintain that this movie, much like the first Gamera movie, which, believe it or not, was almost 10 years after this one, but still (laughs) in black and white, um, are very different movies to their relatives. Um, It's... And not just because they're in black and white, although I think black and white, it hides some of the strings and stuff, I guess, doesn't it? Not literally, but you know what I mean. It's some of the the stuff that's going on. But then again, watching this, I had a whole new appreciation for this is not a cheap knockoff movie. This film cost 10 times more than an average Japanese movie at the time cost over a hundred million yen to make and the average Japanese film at the time cost around 10 million Um, there are things they do with matte effects with miniatures um, and so on that are really quite spectacular some of the shots that we see we sort of take for granted what technical expertise has been put in place the fact that it is a guy in a suit was not so much a cost-saving exercise, but just to enable them to make the film in less than five years because they wanted to do it stop-motion, King Kong style. And there are some sort of holdover scenes where maybe that was the idea. But I'm not bothered that it's a guy in a suit. I, th- I think it does show up a little bit, but I think it's... I, I I'm Because there's so much more going on, because it's a human drama as well. Because it's got all this historical significance. It didn't bother me once, but it that sometimes you could see the leg creases. I get. I know you don't care at all because <laughs> uh, you, you you like this style of. <laughs> I think of it's certainly a. Um, media.
0: It's an art style that requires a certain. It requires more than just a guy in a suit stomping a bunch of buildings. It requires a, a number of different factors to make the magic work. Um, and when it comes to Godzilla, I mean, it it delivers in space. When we look at the Godfather, the Godzilla fathers here. We obviously mentioned uh, Honda. we got composer Akira Ifumbi, who provides all this really great orchestral music. We've also got EJ Tetsubura, who is like. He's basically. I'm trying to think of a good comparison here. Um. Like, do you know how we, when we think of like practical gore effects, we think of Tom Savini?
1: Yes, yeah, so the guy that used to work with George Romero. Yes, exactly. Yes.
0: Tissabura is uh, so <laughs> legendary in his field, and the fact that everything that we can we can look at, pretty much everything that is so key in Japanese pop culture that it can be seen as similar to Godzilla. So things like this, Gamera... Um, Ultraman they all Mm. basically uh, come out of Titsubura he's the like the mastermind who like really nailed down the magic of uh, of these films and when we look at how Honda shoots this movie he shoots it from low angles he gives everything a sense of scale and perspective and he carries this across to both Rodan and Mothra Uh, Mothra is a giant moth, but if we look at the original Mothra movie, she is absolutely terrifying because we get the sense of scale of this thing and like what it mm. would be to be on ground level and you see this giant bloody moth. I mean, your wardrobe is in just gone. I mean, how big a mothball do you need to defeat Mothra? <coughs>
1: You just need to capture those little girls. No, that's that's <laughs> why they have
0: Tokyo Burns mm. because someone steals the little girls, isn't it? So.
1: Absolutely, yes. Another great movie that I wouldn't have probably thought of as great unless we did this show. He also but has that I wonderful
0: know. cover from uh, Eureka, which burns your eyes
1: because <laughs> it's so bright. It it does. It's bright pink. It's isn't lovely. It? It's a very it's a very good... It's a lovely box set as well of one film. <laughs> That's a, yes. I um, also love the fact, you know, you talked about people who are um, synonymous with creating this and the care and other, and then what, how it extended. I love the fact that Ray Harryhausen hated Godzilla. <laughs> Didn't he now? Because it stole his... Yeah, because it kind of stole his thunder from... Um, I think there's a film... Was it called The Beast? Very similar, stop motion and all oh, that. The giant uh, a couple of years before,
0: because it, ah, it came it from beneath janitor's? the
1: sea. Is um... maybe, maybe um, they talk about it on the uh, the guy talks about it on the commentary. But yes, apparently Harryhausen blamed Godzilla for some of his films not succeeding <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of, I've got no problem with Ray Harryhausen, you know It's, it's another maestro at work but, though
0: Harryhausen, when you when you look at his films, absolutely. they've got their own magic I remember watching like Seven Voyages Sinbad, or you watch um, as you said, Jason and the Agronauts um, Ten Thousand Miles to Earth uh, Valley of Gwangi, these stop motion creations, mm. and even before him, things such as like Mighty Joe Young and there is a real charm when you see this, or King Kong, and you see the stop motion animation, and it's got this wellness to it. And I think when it came to suit acting, if it was done, if it's done correctly, it also has this wonderful sort of magic to it. And I think certainly when it came to doing this, I think Hoda is just like the the guy who really. It really knows how to shoot these things well Um, So it's unsurprising it became such a mainstay within like the Godzilla movies and certainly many of the other Toho monster movies as well With this one it's so it's such a change of pace when you compare if you come to this one after you've seen the others because in this one we've got like shots of the uh, The mother clutching her children while Tokyo's burning around her, and it's all like don't worry children We'll see your father in heaven soon and it's like god. This is horrific like Godzilla films generally show people like running to underground bunkers and compared to like Gamera, which oh. celebrates its collateral damage and people being blown <laughs> up into the air. But in this one it's all like people die, we see field hospitals, we see actual you know, the aftermath of what happens when and, Godzilla uh, messes your and, town up.
1: Uh, and Honda spends time with characters that are going to die it's a human story you know this, this is why it resonated with the japanese audience resonates around the world you know because it, it's it it is about a giant monster attacking tokyo but it's also about things that had happened within lifetimes about the destruction the specifically the, the atomic and hydrogen bombs but also remember japan is often beset with you know, they seem to have an unfair number of disasters, even after this, you know, in terms of earthquakes and tidal waves, tsunamis. Um, More recently, obviously, with things like um, the Fukushima nuclear reactor and things like that. <laughs> the poor Japanese seem to suffer from more natural and man-made disasters than anybody else. And this... this But this film came out and it was replaying those going to underground bunkers to evacuating Tokyo to all those kind of things, which they will have had to have done within the last 10 years. And it's, yes, it's talking about a really human stuff, which is why I think Godzilla is off screen. You know, he is shown, as you rightly say, quite early on, but he doesn't really come into effect till halfway through the film, at which time we've... We've met people on trains. We've got a there's a little love triangle going on as well. There's a there's a classic Japanese woman whose whose family betrothed her to one guy, but she's fallen in love with another guy, and there's that kind of thing going on. But there's also nothing extraneous in it. That's not like a separate. I'm trying to think how to explain myself. You know, in like the is it Gareth Edwards' Godzilla? From a few yes. years ago. It tries to do a similar thing where it tries to tell a lot of people's stories and at, and just misses the point. And it's got um the fella, I can't remember the guy, who's the male lead in
0: I don't know you he, he was in kick ass. He was
1: um It's one of those bland, blonde American guys with muscles oh, in He was films. the um
0: the NAF Quicksilver, the same way that we got the NAF Ruffalo Hulk.
1: Aaron Taylor Johnson.
0: Yes, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who, as I say, was originally kick-ass, yeah. and people liked that sort of nerdy stuff, and then he decided, no, I'm going to be an action heartthrob, mm. and got really bulked up, and nobody bought him.
1: Yeah, but he spends Godzilla, the, the, that, that version of the film, which has its moments, it's not my favourite of the legendary series, but just sort of travelling around the world without ever, ever really achieving anything, and is, is is the conceit eh, Brian Cranston's his father who dies earlier it doesn't matter we're not Brian talk- Cranston is his father yeah. yes we're not we're not talking about that film but my my point is that film tried to do that and have other people's stories in this and it never rung true to me whereas this film it feels like a 1950s japanese drama with other shit going on as well and 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 it asks you know it it doesn't just say Oh, Godzilla's coming, how are we going to kill it? People ask questions like, well, is it right for us to kill it? Even though it has killed hundreds of people. Is it right to kill Godzilla? And there are there are numerous people, you know, there's, a, there's this whole thing, there's a, there's a it, it talks about the balance between science and military and what's right to do in science and what's not right to do. It's got real moral questions that it raises. Well,
0: even before uh, we, it's the mainline. We've got the residents of Older Island who are mm.
1: preparing to sacrifice
0: a young girl by selling her off into the ocean. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um,
0: I want to know who is it that when it came to like choosing who they sacrifice, who was it that came up with the idea so like we're just going to get pretty young girls to sacrifice to appease the
1: monsters? That oh, that is a thing, isn't it? That that always happens in <laughs> movies.
0: Because <laughs> I mean, in obviously, like in. Um, 1 million years BC, Macquarie Walsh is because she's blonde, Mm. so she has to be sailed off into the ocean. Um, In King Kong, it's actually seen as an honour, because we see the girl um, who's originally going to be offered to Kong, and she's very calm, and it's like this honour that you're going to be offered as Kong's bride or plaything, Mm. whatever way you want to see it, and it's only Faye Ray, who obviously hasn't been filled in on (laughs) what's going on, who instead gets offered up to Kong.
1: Yes. Why? Why? But it it seems counterintuitive. You you want to keep the best looking individuals, male or female, in your in your gene oh, pool, right? <laughs> that's a very modern way of thinking. I because guess in yes, of in course. the
0: evolution side, you want like the the fastest and the strongest of mm. your your pack. Um, it's it's less about physical appearance. That's why whenever you look at again, we're going back to one million years BC. The tough guys are always these big, hideous ogre brutes. Um, they're really sort of like tough ones that have been been there because they've just been um, their genetic line has always just
1: mm. took the whatever they wanted. I'm I just as as an aside, one million years BC. We're watching it for a third time. My A-level history teacher, not not uh, you yeah, know, my <laughs> A-level history thought that people, human beings, coexisted with dinosaurs. And I'm yeah, I've
0: made that mistake for a long time.
1: I'm pretty certain yeah, I'm pretty certain he thought one million years BC was at the very least an accurate drama. <laughs>
2: documentary.
1: Maybe not a documentary, but yes. Oh uh, who can forget all those giant crabs that we had to battle? All the time. All the time. Just before the Victorian age, right? <laughs> sure. I'd say
0: of all the things that can be like giant, I would say crabs have got to be the most horrific. Like if you look at emperor or island claws, just the mouth on crabs just freaks me
1: the hell out. I mean, yeah, if you have a problem with spiders and and insects, I mean, crabs are just undersea insects of some sort, aren't they? And they are creepy, and their mouth, their ma- they're mandibles, and those big claws, and sometimes the ones that are lopsided, that one claw is massively bigger than the other, and you think, oh, the fiddler crabs, how must how how you know i know how that's happened i understand about um darwinian theory and evolution and stuff but just just think if we were all born with one giant fucking hand one tiny hand <laughs> how how are how, how the human race would be very different but yes crabs i know we're, we're going off topic here but there's um there's a doctor who an early doctor who villain called the macra who are just giant crabs which are running um the world um in a, a very early Doctor Who story that I think Russell T Davis brought back in a in a later episode in a later new who thing but yeah they're creepy and weird I will yeah I'm also think of the brain of morbius where the monster has got a giant crab claw on it as well so it's it's obviously something quite primeval isn't it about crabs they're just weird looking and very tasty <laughs> it's just
0: an excuse to eat butter that's <laughs> like lobster that's
1: that's all crab is really oh, i think crab's a bit nicer than lobster but okay anyway we digress
0: <laughs> when it, obviously as i said already with, with with honda's approach for filmmaking i mean he's famously quoted as saying monsters are born too tall too strong too heavy that is a tragedy so he's never judgmental in the same way Spielberg is never judgmental about the shark in Jaws. Is Jaws is not portrayed as being evil. Jaws is um, the shark in Jaws is just following its instinct, which is to swim and eat and swim and eat and uh, harass Robert
1: Shaw. <laughs> yeah, Quint. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. I, so. Absolutely, and I'm sure that Spielberg took direction from films like this in that Godzilla... And, and there's a whole talk around it. And Godzilla is amoral in this film. He's not a baddie. He's not a goodie. And those things will be explored in later films. You know, sometimes he seems to be protector of the world and sometimes he seems to be a monster and probably more the former than the latter. But in this film... He just is and he's just doing what he does and we're kind of irrelevant towards him it, you know we, we don't matter same way ants don't matter to us yeah yeah um, you know later on obviously he becomes some court of some sort of uh, some sort of protector of the world and we call on Godzilla to help us out against other villains but in this film it, it's just he just is like the shark like Bruce. I know Bruce wasn't actually the name of the shark in the film. That's just what the, what the, what the model was called. But, it's the um, name of Spielberg's lawyer. <laughs> that's why he couldn't. Is that right? Bruce. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that, that that's another thing I find fascinating, Wes. I mean, even with um, Gamera 10 years later, there is a, an elaborate backstory set up about Gamera from minute one about where he may or may, or she isn't it is camera a she or a he, I think she's a she um, wherever, but you know that th- maybe there's an ancient race of creatures that were designed to protect us from some other kind of monster, whereas there's none of that with Godzilla, it's just well he appears to be a giant reptile from the past that we've woken up, the fact he can shoot radiation beams out of his Mouth and stuff like that. That's that's just a thing, but um, never really explained, is it? <laughs> he just can, but he's he's yeah, he's amoral. He's he's just a force of nature, and I love that about this film.
0: Yeah, certainly with this one, it is. We're just going to bring back again to Jaws here. It's, this is less about the monster, and it's very much more a character-driven piece. Um, the authorities argue amongst themselves the best way to defeat. Godzilla and protect Tokyo. Um, at the same time, we get cutaways to news reporters. We obviously have um, the aforementioned patch wearing scientist uh, Suresawa, who is created the oxygen destroyer but at the same time is now racked with guilt of its creation so it's very really sort of like a throwback to sort of like the creation of the atom well bomb.
1: A- a- absolutely so so the the commentary goes on a lot about this and and basically draws an allusion to whether it was deliberate or not i'm not so sure but he's basically a japanese version of robert oppenheimer who basically created the atomic bomb then realised what they had done, t- talked out against it, left the project, and his career was ruined after that. And of course, ironically, the, what the project continued, the Manhattan Project continued to create the H bomb, which is what, in effect, creates or, or awakens Godzilla in this film. But yeah, so so Oppenheimer effectively spoke out against it, and 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 this this never-ending arms race, which could only end in the destruction of the planet and he committed professional suicide sarasawa of course creates this weapon he realizes what it really means and not only destroys all the the blueprints and everything doesn't he but he commits suicide as part of putting this out um so there's this wonderful real world parallel that it's drawing with somebody in oppenheimer i think was still alive when this this film was made out yeah so it's just got it's just got so much more about it than it being just a monster movie.
0: Definitely so, and I think Sirusari is probably one of my favourite God characters to appear in the Godzilla history. Um, he's not only an eye patch wearing scientist, which is a cool look, but he's also an eye patch scientist who wears to wear an old school diving suit and also
1: pulls off wearing
0: sunglasses and an eye patch at the same time.
1: Yeah, actually, and on that, I know you're taking the piss there, but <coughs> so no, I'm not.
0: I thought it was really good. Cool, so... <laughs> now I've
1: got, the... now I've got the cough going. Um, the other thing I'll say is, you know those those underwater deep sea diving stuff at the end. That's really well done. <laughs> I know, I'm, I was I was surprised how well that stood. I don't know if they were really underwater filming or if it's the special effects. Obviously, Godzilla being underwater isn't quite so well done, but. When him and um, the other fella... Um, is it Ogata? Yes. Him and Ogata are down there... Ready to launch the weapon. I thought... You know, you normally underwater scenes are shit. And that was actually quite well done. I will say... It does suffer... In general... From all movies that try and do scale models on water. That's the only bit where the illusion is ruined for me. Because... They've never. You can't do water special effects with models. Water just doesn't work at the right way. So the one good thing about the CGI world is water can now look seas can now look realistic with models on them. But yeah, it looks looks a bit like everything's in a bathtub (laughs) (laughs) when they're above water.
0: It's funny as well the fact that we actually feel sorry for. For the demise of the monster, the same way that we feel sorry for Kong mm. and the end of King Kong, he manages, and I think this is also like, for his, um soundtrack here. We get the really sort of sympathetic strings, and that um, we're going to see Zara. He's going to sacrifice his life. So he's going to destroy himself and his invention. He knows that the only way he can stop this web, this weapon he's created, being used for immoral means, is by killing himself and the monster just like just uh making this this ultimate sacrifice to sort of save the world from the power of this weapon that he's created and at the same time destroying this monster and the fact that this that the only reason we have to kill Godzilla is that we can't coexist with this monster um, in at least in this film. In later films he would go off and hide off on his own islands and then certainly for a period in the shower of films, uh, have his own island with Monster Island, which will be introduced in Destroy Our Monsters. But for now he's just hanging around Oda Island and uh and Tokyo.
1: I have I have a question. I've yeah. never seen Godzilla raids again, raids again which is the scene. Oh you're to missing it. a tree. Oh I will do, don't worry, I've got it in the box set. Um But the ending of this movie is quite fucking definitive, right? Yes. Not only do we see Godzilla die, we see him become a skeleton, which isn't quite how an oxygen destroyer would kill somebody. It'd just be asphyxiated, I think is the idea. But yes, he just ends up as a skeleton. How do they... Because Raids Again was, was basically commissioned before this film was finished. So they're just planning on being a success. Is it a different Godzilla? Oh. Yes. Ah, okay.
0: It's a different... There's been many different Godzillas throughout the series. Um, often um, Manila has grown up to be the new Godzilla. Oh, God. There's there's a number of different ways that we've we've changed Godzilla. It's kind of like um Jim and Only Fools and Horses where he like, says, I've been using the same broom for 20 years, but I've had six different heads and four different ah, handles. yes. It's uh, Godzilla's very much a generic term, but we, we sort of view it as being the same monster, and this is why. Um, and even over the years, they've changed his his look and appearance, he's got taller. He's the when you look at like um, Invasion the Astro Monster, where he's doing the jig, or <laughs> and uh, Godzilla and Sun, where he's got the more um, what, what? More just sort more of Japanese eyes? What's the one making more humane?
1: Where he's got the thought bubbles.
0: Oh, that's Godzilla <laughs> versus that's Geigen, which is actually one of my all time favorites. In the American dubbed cut, um, they just have them him and Anglers talk to each other. He's like, I hear something. <laughs> <laughs> and you have this sound of like a, a radio being tuned in. And it's sort of like, yes, let's go this way. <laughs> but in the Japanese cut, they just have speech bubbles above them. But. Obviously, no one could be bothered to translate that, so uh-huh. they just dubbed them. Oh. Kind of like um, Karen Tai in uh, WWE when they overdubbed them, so they would like be, like, mouthing a bunch of words in Japanese, and then it would be like, we are so evil, and then the other one would be like, indeed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which really says a lot about where the world was <laughs> in terms of, like what we deemed as being acceptable, um, mm. and certainly in the nineties, but no, it's like another monster has appeared. Gotcha. And that would also introduce Angulus, the greatest creation in the Toho catalogue. Not King Caesar as certain members of this show think. Oh, I love King Caesar. I know you do. Nobody
1: likes King Caesar. <laughs> I do quite like Mecha Godzilla as well. <laughs> but, but yeah, kinda like King Caesar's my favourite monster. I don't, I don't understand Rodan. I don't understand Rodan. I, I like Mothra. Um, <laughs> it's a giant chicken, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and, and is Rodan Rod, the one that's like a ter, ter, like a pterodactyl sort of thing?
0: He's a, he's the, he's a giant eagle. Oh, so he oh, his
1: supersonic speed to maybe it's not Rod, things. Maybe it's not Rodan. I'm thinking about what's the one that's like a pterodactyl. It's like a pterodactyl. It's got like a like a lizard, but with giant sort of what, oh, I, what I would call You're
0: thinking of um from uh, Gamera. Am I? That's oh, Gaius.
1: Oh, like a Gaius. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm confusing my uh, Kaiju.
0: Yeah, Gaius is like a pterodactyl. He's uh, another mainstay of that, mm, that uh, one, because right. he yeah. appears in a bunch of, of them. He also gets dragged into a volcano. As you do. <laughs> that, that's that's the big payoff of Gaius. Uh, camera versus guys he gets dragged into a volcano <laughs> um but even this one's obviously very sort of serious in tone i mean uh, honda would go on to direct and there were, like eight entries in this series so right up until terror mecha godzilla so he takes us all the way through just the, the majority of the films in the Shower Era and certainly didn't seem to mind the fact that they had a lighter note to them. Um, even as the films like became more about giant monster smackdowns and introducing robots and aliens. There was a lot of aliens in the Shower Era because that was obviously the big thing of the time. So a lot of the time it would be aliens' secret invasion of Earth. Would be like the background story uh, to justify monsters once again stomping Tokyo.
1: Yeah, I mean that's destroyer monsters, isn't it? Is is there's aliens manipulating them, and there's always people from Planet Zero or something like that. But yeah, it's just again, again. I think all we're uh, we're sort of coming around to the same point over and over. Is that this film is so fucking different to the others, and sometimes you wonder how did you get from here to here, <coughs> and. You know, I'll, I'll reiterate. Even if you don't like the idea of some of the more, let's say, '60s sort of
0: more campy ones.
1: Campy, yeah, campies are, it, it will do. This this is a proper fucking movie with real adult themes that are, you know, that that, that are not just contemporary themes to to a contemporary Japanese audience, but still. I think have value today you know this the, the, those discussions, some of those sort of deeper philosophical questions that this film asks are still valid now and it's just such a fucking good film it's just it is
0: and it's a, it is very different but at the same time it's works for the story that it's telling and there's also some really Fun things that we see with Godzilla, such as the fact that he does—he dives under the water at one point when he's in the Bay of Tokyo, which is something he wouldn't do any other time. But there's a number of one-shot ideas that we've seen with Godzilla, as you said. Many in Godzilla versus Kong, he talks in Godzilla versus um, the versus the Smog Monster. He flies, including the wonderful uh, chapter
1: heading of "Something You Don't See Every Day." <laughs> then you have um of course the film i think that's most like this of the i mean i haven't seen all of the godzilla movies but i feel i've seen a significant number it's probably shin godzilla the the last toho movie before they sort of sold the rights off to america Um, i think that really wants to feel like this movie um yeah, it's it, more it, uh, kind of,
0: Godzilla War Room,
1: isn't it? But there is that. But there's that sort of opening sequence where Godzilla kind of evolves in front of us. And they do this wonderful thing. The best thing about Shin Godzilla is that whilst a lot of it is CGI, they still CGI it to make it look like it's a man in a suit. They don't... Yeah. They don't... They don't sort of just say, hey, we can now make him look like a proper dinosaur or something or, or something like that. It's... It, and and that when he's at his fish... Stage. He's got dead fish eyes. There's just some lovely stuff. There's the problem with is, halfway through the movie, they freeze him, and just spend the rest of the time, like you say, Godzilla Warham. which a lot of the Godzilla films I've seen have aspects of. It's it's not unique to that. Whereas this one is, is more human stories. It's almost like a, a you know, there's there's times there was a there, there's a scene where the sort of the four main characters sort of come back after godzilla's done something and they're in a room but they're all physically separated by distance not just across the breadth of the screen but in the depth of the screen as well like the girl what's the girl's name um is it emmy or something um amiko she's in the kitchen in the depth of the scene her father is comes in and he's in the mid view, and then um uh, Agata and I guess it's, uh, it's... Oh, no, it's not. It's the other fella. It's the other... I can't remember the other guy. The other survivor. But both, four of them in the room, they've all had their lives shot on by Godzilla, but they can't really talk to each other, and they're all distant and apart. But they're all in the same frame. And it's all very Ozu, you know? It's it's all these sort of... It's... it's the, the, these are... You know, Honda is not a neophyte director, is he? He's uh, He's a really skilled... Filmmaker, um, this, this is this is higher class stuff, you know. We talked early on, we have this, you know, you and I have this, there's this tension between cult cinema, I think we can say where you're coming from, um, and, and art house cinema where I'm coming from. This sits boldly in the middle, it's scratching both our riches.
0: It very much is, it's sort of like. And I think when we look at the West, I think Jaws is going to be the closest comparison mm. we can draw to it because it's a film about people which also happens to feature a giant monster. Um, when we look at Jaws, I mean, Jaws is, is much more than just about a giant shark attacking people. That would obviously be more the focus of 2, 3 and Revenge. And every shark movie that's followed since but there's so many more interesting things that are happening like the relationship with uh, the Mayor Mary um, when we see obviously uh, Roy Schneider's uh, character um, and how he's this outsider on, on the island and his wife is obviously a local and how he sort of struggles to fit in there's all these different elements that just like create this wonderful picture and then we've got Quint who's sort of like his own aggravation he's also this uh power who plays his power within the town and uh just this background sort of presence that's uh sort of staring things up and i think when it comes to godzilla it's sort of like the same It's sort of like the fact that you've got that we humanity is sort of like his mark and now awoken this sort of sleeping god that's now going to awaken and reset the balance again and we see this in numerous other properties as well things just like legend to the Overfiend, of where humanity gets to ahead of itself and awakens like um one of the ancient gods or a greater power um and is reminded of just how insignificant humanity really is at the end of the day very lovecraftian in that way i guess Yes, very Lovecraftian indeed. Um, Lovecraft would love to remind us that we're <laughs> that we're very <laughs> insignificant in humanity. There's always something bigger and meaner out there, or oh, that we don't understand. It's the unspeakable terror. That's that's what Lovecraft's thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I watched. Um, oh, what did I watch the other day? I watched the one with Dean Stockwell. Is it? Um, it's it's based on the. Is it the Innsmouth Terror? I can't remember. Anyway, it was, it was really good, like from the 70s. Very interesting. Got it. I like, I like a bit of Lovecraft. Well, I, like, I don't like him himself. He obviously was a horrible racist, but um, I and like the ideas. There's of... a lot of problematic <laughs> people when you look at
0: Old <laughs> Orphers. I think yeah. it's not Kipling, another problematic one.
1: Uh, yeah lovecraft is particularly problematic because he wrote it all down and published it <laughs> so some some of these guys it's it's more like you know, you're, you're, it's it's second-hand information that maybe things they might have said and obviously you know Kipling obviously was he born in India he he but was yeah so during the Raj and all that so he probably would have had very typical views for his time <laughs> but but no no um this isn't about Lovecraft, but yes, he was a horrible racist. And, <laughs> but it's fully known, and, and you you know you sometimes have to separate the man from the art. Well, or,
0: I think we've already encountered that a couple of times on on this show with uh, <coughs> people that we once Mr. admired, Sono. and uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, it's never ending. Mister Sano being the latest example, or Eric Sang obviously, yeah, uh, who I talked about earlier. Jackie and, Chan's
0: had his scandals that I never knew well, about until. We invited Kim yeah. on to as the bullet vanishes <laughs> and then we realised just how much they hate everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you just—it's—it's—it's not—it's an extension of never meet your hero. Exactly. Actually. Just don't don't <laughs> like
0: anyone. You know what? You need to yeah. like
1: someone like Godzilla. Godzilla never did anything wrong. Well, if he did, it wasn't his fault. It's just who he is. Yeah, that's true. Do we have to cancel Godzilla? Oh, for I'd imagine immortal? that. That would. <laughs> no, but um, yeah. No, just I, know, I keep repeating it. But it, this is such a good film. It is, you know, it is so appropriate to pick for an anniversary episode, um, especially as you know we have covered several kaiju Ooh, movies. Oh yeah, I mean, a... we,
0: the kaiju Christmas is like one of my favourite episodes we record every year. Um... And 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 and
1: we'll be coming to that very soon. So <laughs> it's, it's nearly Christmas as we record this. But yeah you know, we did destroy monsters, didn't we? As a mainline show, I think, or was that a Kaiju Christmas one? That was yeah, a, that, a that was our very show. first
0: Kaiju Christmas. We did nah. uh, destroy monsters, and we did Mothra, and we did um,
1: Paul Gasari, and
0: Gamma Free Revenge Virus. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's a group My who constantly try to get us to do Godzilla services megalon
1: because they're sadistic i guess but <laughs> but yeah and, and, and i i i think they're great and i've become you know again sort of going back to how we've changed over the course of this podcast again one of our first ones was also either king kong versus godzilla or godzilla versus king kong oh uh
0: king kong escapes was our second ever king episode kong escapes. Yeah, that's right. On oh, um, first sort of that was back when you didn't realise right. that you were going to be the co-host of this the show. That's right.
1: That's right. That's when I thought I would just turn up for an episode. <laughs> you come on and talk about Ghost in the
0: Shell and, and yeah, that's in there. and then
1: and then it's and never then left. About 150 episodes later, I'm still here <laughs> talking about. I like that film as well. Oh, I that's just, the one
0: where Kong's hypnotised by the power of disco. That's right. <laughs> but it also has Mechikong um yeah. with the climatic battle taking on the Tokyo Tower.
1: Yes, as quite often happens in these things.
0: It is it is a prime location for for this and we see it again in this film, it's where the reporters are. Um including mm. um Raymond Blur if you watch the American one. If you watch Godzilla King of the Monsters, they put some scenes of Raymond Barron, uh just so they could flog it to the Americans and he does actually return in um godzilla it's godzilla's revenge is the american title of it cuz it's got no he's got no the he's got it's weird cuz it's got an american cut where he's like a main character who's now telepathically connected to godzilla for some reason but gotcha. it's absolutely awful yeah. just watch the japanese one instead
1: um well, interestingly, on the on the Criterion set, the the Americanized version is hidden away as an extra feature. The Hidden <laughs>
0: Gods vs. Kong as well, I think, is hidden away on there as well.
1: Oh, really? Okay, interesting. I like I'll have to hand that down.
0: The, the, what appears to be a special features disc, but it's hidden, hidden way on
1: there. Oh so so yes so this is so, so the americanized version but the commentary which again i will i can't remember who it's by and i can't go away to read I, I, my, my box thing is my book thing is too far away anyway it's really good i'd really recommend it it's 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 more of a thesis than it is a commentary but he does say, at the end. He says, "I've got a lot more to say, so you have to come and listen to the commentary on um on the American ice cut as well." So I will. I didn't watch it for this show. I think we sort of agreed, didn't we, that we weren't going to cover that. But I am going to go back and watch it to see either how bad, different, what, or whatever I feel about it. But I want to hear the rest of the commentary <laughs> to find out more.
0: From what I remember, it's just the there's like a few scenes of brothers basically being inserted in. And he's just one of the reporters.
1: I think also, I think
0: some of the thematic stuff is cut back a bit. Um, Snug, we really like the um, the bullet train where they cut out all the backstory for the villains, so it becomes a more generic mm. action piece and not the three hour epic <laughs> that uh, the Japanese cutters.
1: Yes, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. That's right, and it is one minute shorter. But yes, I, I will. I will check it out. But it looks broadly the same <laughs> just that there's a guy called Steve Martin in it <laughs> are we done are we done eulogising over
0: eulogising I think gushing over this movie I think uh, yes I've got nothing else to say about this one so
1: cool so please go and watch it, everybody yes
0: so uh well I'm questioning a big recommendation from ourselves. Oh,
1: I think so. <laughs> um,
0: no, but again, if you have not seen this and you've been put off watching Godzilla movies because you've seen like the later ones in the Shara era and you've seen things such as like I don't know things like um, Godzilla and Son or Godzilla vs Megalon, just the more sort of like campy ones, and you think, oh, it's just giant monsters wrestling each other and knocking over Tokyo. Give Godzilla 1954 a chance and I think you would be really surprised by just how different it is. And at the same time, really just um, takes the series in, series in a, a really interesting direction for its uh, initial one. And at the same time, fits so perfectly in with everything that followed. Which I think is the, the strangest part that you can say about it. Is the fact that you look at this one and you don't think it's like a separate... Entity. It's not like Star Trek The Motion Picture compared to Rafa Khan where they're two very different beats. This one feels like it fits perfectly within the uh, Toho verse with all the others. So
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So yes, there we have it. Episode 100. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show and get the word out there. If you haven't done already though, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Leave us a review as it really helps raise the profile of the show you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and you can check out our complete archive of episodes at AsianCinemaFilmClub.wordpress.com which has not only got our backlog of episodes we've got the Battle Royale chapter by chapter breakdown on there we've got Takashi Miike month, we've got Anthony Wong month and uh, we've also got some fun uh, writing on there from both Stephen and Film we've got the mixtape, there's just a host of stuff for you to check out over there Okay, so for episode 101, we're going to go right back to where we started, which was Ghost in the Shell. And we're going to look at Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, the long-awaited follow-up to Ghost in the Shell. So, I'm one that I've uh, not seen myself, so I'm kind of interested to see how it plays out. Cool.
1: Sorry, you're asking for my... Obviously, Um... I've never seen it either, so I'm kind of interested. So... Definite mondo and a lovely match back with episode one.
0: Until uh, next time, thank you as always for listening. Thanks to my co Stephen and we will be back for episode one hundred and one with Ghost and Show Two Innocence. But until then, good night. <laughs>
2: And a terrible sound. He pulls the spinning high tension wires down. Helpless people on subway trains scream, by guide as he.